Okay, John chapter 1. Last week we looked at the first 18 uh, verses of John, the prologue. John uses two metaphors, word and light, and two names, Jesus and Son, to introduce us to Jesus. It's real high level. He doesn't give us a lot of detail. These are concepts that he's going to unpack throughout the gospel. But some things that we did see initially, that, that Jesus is God, the, the Word is God. We saw that Jesus is also a man. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We saw some things uh, that Jesus came to do. He came to bring life to everyone. Not everyone's going to respond to his offer, but the offer is made to, ever, to everyone, that his light shines on everyone. That Jesus came to establish a new covenant, a new and a better way of relating to God. We've received grace after grace already given. We've received a new way of relating to God that's better than the, the old way uh, in, that we find in the Old Testament. Today we're going to look at John the Baptist. It'll be a little confusing. Two Johns. John who wrote the gospel, one of the twelve disciples, John the Baptist, different guy. We're going to look at John the Baptist this morning. He was introduced last week, but we kind of we, we moved past him really quick. He's introduced this way. There was a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptist. John came as a witness to testify concerning that light, Jesus, so that through John all might believe. John was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So uh, we're going to look at John in a couple of different ways. This morning we're going to look primarily at John as a person. And next week we're going to look at his testimony, what he actually says about Jesus. That idea of witness or testimony is really important in the Gospel of John. It's someone who has direct knowledge of a situation, and John the Baptist has direct knowledge of who Jesus is. And so we want to hear what he has to say about Jesus, but we'll wait uh, till next week to do that. So as we're reading, you in your mind be thinking, does John as a person have anything to say to you? Uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Now, this was John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not the prophet. Nope. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Some big concepts about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the chosen one. Again, we're going to wait. Next week, we're going to look a little bit more at John's testimony about who Jesus is. This morning, again, we're going to focus primarily on John as a person. So here's the setup. John is out somewhere. We don't know where Bethany beyond the Jordan is. Nobody knows where that is. He's somewhere by the Jordan River, and he's baptizing. And according to the Gospel of Mark, huge crowds. All of the countryside, all of the people of Jerusalem are coming out to him. 
And what John is doing is he's baptizing Jews, which Jews don't get baptized. Jews wash themselves if they're unclean in some ways or certain sins if they commit or certain th- if they if they touch certain things that are unclean they would wash themselves ritually and be made clean but they would not no no dunking no baptisms gentiles would be baptized when they became jews but jews weren't baptized and so the pharisees or excuse me the religious leaders sent out this group of investigators uh, to find out basically john who do you think you are this is an interrogation this is not a friendly chat so they go out to him who are you? What gives you the right? What gives you authority? Why are you doing this? John, right off the bat, says, I'm not the Messiah. There was some thinking that the Messiah would baptize Jews as preparation for this new work he was going to do. He said, I'm not that guy. Well, are you Elijah or the prophet? Two other people spoken of in the Old Testament who the Jews thought, well, they're going to come back and they're going to be associated with the Messiah. And you can see the scriptures that are up on the screen from Malachi and from Deuteronomy. Are you one of those two guys? We know who those guys are. We think we have an idea of what they're going to do, and they'll be associated with the Messiah, with this new age that's going to come. Are you one of them? And John says, nope, I'm, I'm neither one of those guys. Well, then who are you? You've got to give us something. These guys sent us out to find out who you are. We can't go back empty-handed. Tell us something about yourself. And John quotes from Isaiah 40, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And what they would say is that's, Great. We don't have a box for that. Like, that's, that's not an option. Messiah, Elijah, prophet. Those are our three choices. Voice of one calling in the wilderness. That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. You've got to tell, why are you baptizing? These three guys, maybe. But you're giving us a, a, a verse that's wonderful but has nothing to do. It doesn't explain why you're baptizing people. And John doesn't answer the question. He says, yeah, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one here among us. I think Jesus is in the crowd. We know that Jesus was baptized by John. There's one here among us, and y'all don't know him, but he's the one I'm preparing the way for. Now, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, but he's, he's here. The picture there from Isaiah 40 is if a king is coming into your town, you'd go out and you'd fix the road. You'd fill in the potholes and get all the debris off. You want a good road for the king to come in on. Build it up. And John said, I've been doing that work, and the one I've been doing that for, he's here. Y'all don't know him. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes, but he's here among us. And the next day, when that group of investigators is gone, John's more forthcoming, more straightforward. And he said, I didn't know him, but I got a sign. God gave me a sign. He said, the one who the Holy Spirit descends on and remains on, that's how you'll know who the Messiah is. God didn't give me a name. He gave me a sign to look for, and that sign was fulfilled in Jesus. I baptized him, and the Holy Spirit came upon him and remained on him, and that's unusual. That's not, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like a coat. You put him on, and you took him off, and this is different. The Holy Spirit remained on him, and I knew from the Father that that would be a sign that this guy was the chosen one, the Messiah, and it's Jesus. And the whole reason I'm baptizing, the whole reason I'm out here, calling people out into the wilderness and dunking them in the Jordan River. The reason I'm doing all of that is so that the Messiah would be revealed. That's my part of the plan. I'm, like, I'm step one in the process. Skip over to verse, chapter 3, if you will. Chronologically, this happens really close to chapter 1, even though there's a lot of content in the gospel in between. After this, after Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus, a, a Jewish leader, Jesus and his disciples were out, excuse me, went out to the Judean countryside. 
where Jesus spent some time with his disciples and baptized. Now, John the Baptist also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So they're arguing about Jews being baptized versus Jews doing this ritual cleansing. Then John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. It's now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. Again, the backdrop for this probably chronologically near to what we saw in chapter one, similar setting, Jordan River. Jesus' Jesus's disciples actually are now baptizing, and Jesus is with them, and John's disciples are still out there, and they're baptizing, and some, a Jew comes up to John the Baptist's disciples, and there's an argument about what John is doing, and then his disciples, they recognize Jesus' crowd is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and their crowd is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and so they say to John, like, what, what are we going to do about this? This is your gig. You were here first. You actually baptized him. Everybody's going to him now. And you can imagine they call John a rabbi to say someone's your rabbi, it's your teacher, your, your master, your leader. It's, it's your, you're saying, I want to live my life like you. I want to walk in your footsteps. I want to understand God the way you understand God. I want to read the Bible the way you read the Bible. I'm going to dress like you and act like you. I want to, I, I'm hitching my wagon to your horse. And John's disciples are saying, I'm wondering if we made, did we bet on the wrong guy? There's fewer and fewer of people coming to us, and there's more and more people coming to Jesus. So imply, John, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And John's reply is classic. I've got a race to run. God's marked out a race for me, and everybody can only run the race God's put in front of them. And this is my race, and I'm running it. And then he uses this picture from a marriage ceremony. Jesus is the groom. I'm the best man. All these people coming are the bride. The bride are for the groom. They're not for the best man. That's who Jesus is. My job is to prepare the way for him. Jewish marital custom. So the, the, the bride-to-be would come to the groom's house and would go to his bedroom, and a couple of his best men would stand outside the door, and the groom would let them know when the marriage had been consummated, which is a miracle anything ever was. So that's, they're out there. And then when, then that he would announce, the best men would then announce to the rest of the wedding party, if you can fathom that, the it's been consummated. And there's big celebration. We're not going to talk about that anymore. That's the picture. That's the picture. I'm waiting to hear his voice. And when I hear it, I'm overjoyed. He's passing the baton, I think. John is passing the baton to Jesus saying, my part's done. It's now, it's his, it's his time. He's center stage. I was never center stage. My whole job and my joy was to get things ready for him. There's got to be less of me because I'm not the star of this show. And there's got to be more of him because he's the chosen one. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away the sins of the world. I don't do any of that. And so I'm going to get out of the way. 
so that he can take center stage. I was thinking about that with John. You don't hear it in this gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's a really weird guy. He's just weird. He lived in a desert, whatever that would happen to look like. You almost get the impression he was raised by wolves or something. I don't know where his parents are. He never cut his hair, which I would think would provide some hygienic issues if you're in the desert your whole life. He ate locusts and honey. He wore weird clothes. Never drank alcohol. He's just odd. He has a very clear path, very clear calling on his life. And for us, sometimes when we hear about John, it's easy to distance ourselves and say, none none of that sounds anything like any of this. An angel didn't predict my birth. An angel didn't lay out the plan for my life before I was even conceived. I certainly wasn't raised in the wilderness. I I don't connect. John is special. And so we can tend to distance ourselves from him and say, there's not much there for me because I'm not like him. Jesus actually says the person who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. John was great. He was special. He was unique. He was a pivotal figure in history. Jesus says nobody's been like him before. But after him, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so I think there are some things that we can learn. And he is different and he is unique. And he's special in a sense. But there are things I think that he can teach us, hopefully challenge and encourage us. When I look at John, the thing that jumps out the most is not his weirdness or his uniqueness or even the special place that he plays in history as the one who prepares the way for Jesus. The thing that jumps out to me the most is that all of his life is oriented around Jesus, every bit of it. John's entire life is oriented around Jesus. And that's kind of a that's a big statement and maybe nebulous and hard to grab on to. If you look at two of the major areas of our life, our identity and activity, who we are and what we do, you see for John, both of those things are tied directly back into Jesus. When this group of investigators comes to him and they say, who are you? And they give him a list. and He says, I'm none of those guys. And they say, Just tell us who you are. Give us something. Tell us something about yourself. John doesn't say, my parents are Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're priests, kind of a big deal. They don't say, I'm actually kind of a miracle baby. My mom was really old, she wasn't supposed to have any kids. Angel appeared to my dad and said I was going to be born, gave him my name, told him a lot about my life. You see all these people, I'm pretty popular. He doesn't do any of that. I'm a Nazarite, I've been holy my whole life. He doesn't say any of those things. I'm a voice, that's what he says. I'm a voice in the wilderness calling out, make way, make straight the way for the Lord. His, his understanding of who he is is directly tied to his relationship with Jesus. I'm the one who's sent before him. I'm making a way for him. His activity, what he does, his whole life. He says in verse 31 of chapter 1, the reason I'm doing all this, the reason I'm out in the wilderness baptizing people who are coming to me, the reason I do all that is so the Messiah would be revealed. That's my reason, that's my purpose Behind my work, everything about John is revolves around his relationship with Jesus. And so the question for me and the question I would pose to you is, can you say the same? Can I say the same? Is my life oriented around Jesus? Not in part, but in totality. It's a big statement to make. We can look at John and say, man, no angel told my parents I was going to be born. I wasn't raised in the wilderness. I didn't get a blueprint for what my life was supposed to be like. That, is that fair to say that my life should be wrapped around and oriented around Jesus the same way that John's is? And I think life is better that way. 
Let me give you a couple of specific things that you can think about. You can't grab onto all of these. Pick one. When I think about John's sense of identity, who he was, again, defined by his relationship with Jesus, so important. When you, if somebody were to say to you, who are you? Tell me something about yourself. How far down the list do you get before it's, I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Jesus or I love Jesus? How far down the list? We do our name and maybe what we, what we get paid to do. Maybe we talk some about our family. Don't hear this as condemnation. It's just, it, for most of us, that's not a top-of-the-line thing. That's not our primary sense of identity. Our primary sense of identity is not our connection to Jesus. It's something that we're doing out here in our world. And, and the danger of that is at some point, it's like Jenga, at some point the blocks get pulled out. At some point the things that we tend to rely on, those things that we say first, they go away. And if we don't have a strong sense of who we are in the Lord, then we have an identity crisis. Go out and buy a convertible, whatever that is. John doesn't do that. When his disciples come to him and say, John, your 15 minutes are about up. Our crowds are getting small. His crowds are getting big. Well, You've you got to do something. John doesn't panic. He doesn't say, all right, let's pray more or let's market better or let's undercut the competition or let's move to a new spot. He doesn't say any of that. He says a man can only have what's given to him by the Father. My job is to prepare the way for him. I'm just his friend. That's who I am. I'm the friend. I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. I know my spot. And who I am is not, it's tied to who he is. That's my sense of identity. And I wonder for you, is that the same? We talk a lot about that. We talk about our relationship with God as a father. And we're sons and daughters. Totally true. There's, that's rich. It's a rich picture. There's a lot of things that we can learn from that. One of the things I think John presses, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. Do you see yourself as a friend of Jesus? Is that a word that you think of? I get son. That's not hard for me. At someone who had a father and is a father, I can kind of understand that dynamic. Friend is different. I don't know that I often conceive of myself as a friend of God. Do you see yourself that way? How far down the list is that? Abraham in James chapter 2 is called a friend of God. We may say, well, Abraham was special. John was special. Jesus in John 15 says to his disciples, y'all are my friends. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and you're in one of those categories or the other. You're a tax collector and a sinner. You're someone who's following after Jesus. Either way, his offer to you is the same. It's one of friendship. The Bible doesn't really explain what it means to be a friend of God. But if you go back and read Genesis 17 and 18, where we see this interchange or exchange between God and Abraham. Very interesting. God shows up at Abraham's house and Abraham cooks him a meal. God's about to leave and he says, far be it from me to do this without letting Abraham know. He's talking about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not going to do that without letting Abraham know. And so he tells Abraham, and then Abraham and God go back and forth, bartering over this, the fate of this city. Very interesting story. God lets Abraham know, this is what I'm thinking, and this is what I'm going to do. In John 15, when Jesus calls his disciples friends, he says, servants don't know what their masters are thinking. Masters tell servants what to do. 
they don't necessarily pull the curtain back, let them know what's going on inside. But I've let y'all know. Everything I've learned from the Father, I've taught y'all. I'm letting y'all know what the future holds. Do you think about that? How do you think about that in your relationship with the Lord? Do you see yourself as someone to whom God wants to share? Someone with whom God wants to share secrets? Think about that. Things are different between you and your parents. There are things parents don't tell their kids. You're not mature enough. You're not ready for it. You don't need to hand. That's, that's, that's not your responsibility in this family to carry that burden. Think about the difference with a friend. You share it all. And what Jesus says, y'all are my friends. I want to share with you. There's obviously some cultivation that has to happen in that relationship. But do you conceive yourself that way? Is that one of the ways that you understand yourself? Is that a primary thing for you? Who are you? I'm a friend of Jesus. Is that, on the, is that top of the heart for you? It's not for me. It's a place where John challenges me. What does it look like for me to live my life as a friend of Jesus? Particularly when those external things start getting pulled away. We just had some seniors stand up. They worked hard for four years or seven years, and they've got this great-looking transcript, and it got them into the college they want to go to, and it looks wonderful. And, and now we can all say as people are on the other side of that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Nobody cares anymore, do they? Isn't that hard? Something you worked so hard for. You set foot on that campus in Auburn and nobody's asking what your SAT score was. They're not. And the same thing is true for us as adults. If we're leaning on that resume, if we're leaning on that bank account, if we're leaning on that family, those family relationships, if it's external things that define who we are, when those Jenga blocks start getting pulled, it's no good for us. We want to be people whose primary identity is tied to our relationship with Jesus. I'm a friend of God before I'm anything else. I'm a son or a daughter of God before I'm anything else. So if those things start getting pulled away, it may hurt. We're not going to say it doesn't, but it doesn't devastate. It may affect what I do. It's not going to shake who I am. The second thing I see when I look at John is his job. His job was to dunk people in a river. His job was tied to, 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 to the plan of God. His, his job was tied to revealing Jesus to other people. He says that in verse 31. The reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm baptizing people, is so that Jesus would be revealed. Do you understand your job that way? We talk a lot about calling we talk a lot about the good works that God has created in advance for us to do. We talk about purpose. All of that's wonderful and good and right. I'm going to push you this morning to think specifically about what you do on Monday. Staying home with your family, punching a clock, going to work, whatever that looks like for you. I want you to think about your work. Do you conceive of your work as something that reveals Jesus to others? John did. And you may say, well, that's easy. His job was calling people to repentance and baptizing them. Not hard to make a connection. I'm pushing paper. Way different. I want to challenge you to really before the Lord say, God, how does my job, how does what I actually get paid to do or what I'm staying home to do, how, how does that actually, con how does that reveal you to other people? How does that contribute to what you're wanting to do in our community? It's a different question. I'm not asking if you're salt and light at work, be that. I'm not asking if with everything that you do, you do it all to the glory of God, do that. 
I'm not asking that question. I'm talking about the thing that your boss pays you to do. How does that reveal Jesus to others? How does that contribute to what God wants to do in the world? And don't discount it and say it doesn't. Well, if I was a teacher, I could make the connection. Investing in kids, helping kids learn public school, can't talk about Jesus. I still could see lots of ways. If I was in a counselor or a nurse, I could see it. I'm promoting health and, and wholeness and helping people get better. I can see that. Maybe you'd even say, like, if I was a lawyer or something, I could see I'm, I'm fighting for justice. That's a value in the kingdom. I don't see that for me. I build things. I don't see that for me. I make deals. I don't see that for me. I'm looking at Excel all day. I don't, I don't see it. I want to challenge you before the Lord. Ask him, God, you've got to show me. If you ask him and you pray and you seek and, and after a period of that, you come back and would say, what I do for 40 hours or 45 hours or 50 hours a week has nothing to do with who Jesus is or what Jesus is doing, I'd say go get another job. You're wasting a lot of time. But I don't think most of you are going to have to go get another job. I don't know that any of you are going to have to go get another job. You just may have to reconceive of the job that you already have the place where God has put you, to recognize how does this reveal you, Jesus? In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we read that God created Adam and Eve in his image. The idea there is when a king took new ground, he would put a statue of himself there. He lived back somewhere else, and he put a statue in this new territory so everybody would know whose it is. That's us. We're these representations of God on the earth, and he's put us here so that everybody will know this earth is mine. And your work is a part of that. Whether you would consider it Christian work or not is irrelevant. Your work, if God has placed you there, and he most likely he has, there's a way that that can reveal who Jesus is. That can reflect a value of the kingdom of God. That can contribute to what God is doing in the world. Even if you're way in the back, you push paper. You push paper for an organization that does good. That's great. That's a part of it. I would ask you before the Lord, it will bring a new sense of purpose and value to what you're doing. And again, I don't know anyone that's got to get a new job. I think every, many of us need to rethink about, rework the way we think about our job. Last thing, and I'll wrap up. John, there was a contentment about John regarding his life. This can sound like resignation. I don't want it to sound like that at all. That's not the same as contentment. John accepted the lot that he had. He said, a man can only receive what's been given him from heaven. David in Psalm 16 talks about the boundary lines that have fallen in pleasant places for him. And you may say, well, he was the king. So the boundary lines are really pleasant when you're the king. But for each one of us, I would say, we're not going to be kings. But we can, I think, get to a place of contentment that says, I recognize the boundary lines for me, my lot, my portion from the Lord. I'm content with that. The second half of Joshua is a brutal book. It's a whole bunch of, it sounds like a survey document. And it is because God is apportioning the land and saying, your family gets this amount of dirt and your family gets this amount of dirt and your family gets that amount of dirt. And once you got your dirt, you put a boundary stone there that said, this is mine, given to me by the Lord. And it was against the law to move your boundary stone because if you did, you were stealing somebody else's inheritance. You were stealing their dirt. And so the same thing is true for us. 
maybe not necessarily with dirt, but, de- but it's tangible. It's not just a spiritual inheritance from the Lord, I don't believe. I don't believe every detail of your life is already determined and God's already decided what pair of shoes you're going to wear tomorrow. But I do think in the broad, the broad lines, I think God has determined some things. He's decided this is what your life's going to look like. And you can live outside of that in Acts. That's called kicking against the goads. It hurts a lot. God says to Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? But if you're going to be obedient, if you're going to follow Jesus, and this is what your life is going to look like. If you're going to be obedient and follow Jesus, you're going to be single. You can go out and get married. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you're not going to. Or you're going to get married. You can choose to live alone. But if you're going to follow Jesus, your lot is to get married. If you're married, your lot is to have children. You can choose not to. But you're being disobedient. If you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to have two or three or whatever the number is of kids. You're going to work in this that you can go do something else. But if you're going to be obedient to Jesus, the, the race that he's marked out for, you're going to work in this field. And that's, that's going to be tied to your income. And think of all the things that are tied to your income. You can go out and make more money if you want to. But you're kicking against the goads at that point. It doesn't mean you won't be able to make it. It just means you'll be making it in disobedience to him. Because there's this boundary line that he's laid for you. And your income may be capped in a certain area. You can move, absolutely. You got freedom. You move wherever you want. If you're going to be obedient to him, you're going to live in this neighborhood. You're not moving. You're staying in this neighborhood. Or you're not. Do you think of your life that way? When we hit a a fork, we pray, most of us, God direct me. But on a daily basis, do you conceive of your life as given to you, or if you like the word assigned, I like given, given to you by the Lord? Would you say, yeah, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I didn't get everything I wanted, but I'm content with my lot in life. I'm not trying to expand beyond what God has given to me, and I'm certainly not pulling in and receiving less than what he has. That's nebulous, ambiguous. If you're single before the Lord, I'd say pray. If you're married, that may be a good conversation for you to have. There's a thing where we live, and it's just like you just, hit, you just do the next one. This is what you do when you turn 18, and this is what you do when you turn 25, and this is what you do when you turn 32, and this is what you do when you turn 70. This is what you do when your kids move out. This is what you do, all of those things. They're just these kind of um, expectations. It's autopilot. This is what life's supposed to look like. It's not kingdom. That's not a recognition that God has assigned to each one of us a lot. He's given us a portion He's given us this piece of land, this inheritance, and we want to stay within that. I'm not looking left or right. I'm just saying, God, before you, is this, am I being faithful? Is this what you've called me to? And you've got to give me grace to be content with that. Not resigned, but content. Again, that's a nebulous picture. John gets it. When there's a lot of people, he's able to say, I'm just a voice. I'm not the show. When there's no people, he's able to say, it's okay, I'm just a friend. There's a sense of contentment that comes when we can say before the Lord, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Can you say that this morning? I want to take a few minutes and pray as we close. We've got some time. You can't grab onto three questions, it's too many. You can grab onto one.
which one of those three resonates with you the most? Not the one that you're doing the best at, the one that you would feel like you struggle with the most. Is it an identity issue for you? How far down the list before you get to friend of God? Think about that one specifically this morning. How far down the list before you get to friend of God? You may want to before the Lord say, God, I, I, I don't mean to, but I am. I'm placing my identity in my relationships, in my role, in my work. I don't want to. I want who I am to be defined primarily by my relationship to you. Show me what it is to be a friend. What does this even mean? A friend of God. Show me. What are these things that you want to reveal to me? Does that mean you're going to be able to predict the future? But God, what are the things that you want to share with me? Is it your work? Your nine to five? Is that completely divorced from who Jesus is and what he does? God, I'm just punching a clock. I don't see how what I'm doing makes any difference in what you're trying to do. I need you to help me. Show me. If i got to go find something else to do, then absolutely, but I'm believing that you placed me here, and so you've got to show me. How does this reveal you to others, this particular work? How does this work reflect the values of the kingdom? How does this work contribute to what you're doing in our world? Show me. God, I want to be able to say that the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. I don't want to covet somebody else's life. I want to be content with the one that you've given to me. God, if there's a place where I've pulled in my boundary stones out of fear or for whatever reason, I pray you convict me. And certainly, God, if there's a place where I'm moving outside of what you have for me, convict me. God, I don't want to kick against the goads. I want to live the life that you envisioned for me to live. When it comes to my family, when it comes to my work, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my geography, I want to do that. doesn't mean that things never change. Certainly not. But God, I want to be content. So would you help me? Would you speak to me about that? Whichever one of those resonates most, grab onto that. Bo's going to sing, and Kaylee, they're going to, she going? Yeah, they're going to sing over us. I want you to stay in your seat. And then at some point during the song, Bo will have you stand, and you can come forward for ministry at that. So you begin just quietly before the Lord, and then at some point during the song, Bo will um, tell us to stand, and, and we'd invite you forward for ministry. Ministry teams, you guys can go ahead and come forward. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. But I would say one of those three questions, whichever one resonates most, nobody's going to tell you what to do. We're just going to pray for God to speak. So that's my desire, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to your children. Easy for a message like this to get twisted by the enemy. I pray that wouldn't be the case. People would hear clearly without condemnation what you're saying to them about them and would respond uh, in faith to you. In Jesus' name, amen.